Church, do you love Jesus tonight? Yes, put your hand in the air if you love Jesus tonight. We've been singing that we love him and that he's holy. And you know what, I believe he wants us to know tonight that he loves us too. And what a great reminder from him as we begin into this time in God's word tonight. If you wanna go ahead and have a seat, we're gonna transition into just being before the Lord and letting him speak to us tonight. He has a word for us tonight, and I'm, I'm telling you, it's a strong word, it's a clear word, but it's a word that I believe we need to know that we love Him and that He loves us if we're gonna hear it with open hearts. And, and I just believe that God wants us to take every minute of our time together to just spend in what He's going to say to us. So I'm just gonna jump right in. We're really glad that you're here tonight, whether you're worshiping in person with us here or online. We're glad that you're here, and I do believe God has a word to give uh, to us in this series that we're in called The Moral Dilemma. It's been a good series. It's been a series that has searched out our hearts, and I believe it's going to continue to do this not only tonight, but um, next week as Pastor Fred wraps it all up. But the word that God has for us tonight, church, really is just going to center in a very little word. It's just a two-letter word, and it is the word in. You know, that word is a word that we are all familiar with. We use it all day long. We tell our barista to put things in our coffee, right? We talk about getting in our car or in the shower. We tell our kids to put the dishes in the dishwasher, or maybe our husbands, we tell them to, or maybe we have to tell ourselves. But, you know, we use this word in all the time, right? So we're, we're super familiar with it. We don't even have to think about what it means because we just are doing it. We're, we're using that word. We're doing, getting in all the time. But tonight, this word in that the Lord's going to talk to us is a different kind of in that he's going to talk to us about. It's a different kind of in. It's an in that he fully understands. But for us, it's really such a different kind of in that really we can spend a lifetime learning about what this looks like and what this feels like and what this should be like in our lives. See, throughout the New Testament, the Lord continually speaks this phrase, in Christ. Have you ever seen that in your Bible as you're reading through? You know, just over and over again, we see that phrase, in Christ. Now that is a doctrinal phrase that describes what takes place in us spiritually when we receive Jesus. We literally become a new creation and we are now in Christ. But it is also a phrase that describes how we should really be living every day, where we should be abiding and dwelling, and that is in Christ. Over the course of my own relationship with Jesus, God has been teaching me about what that looks like in my life for so, so many years, over and over again. And tonight, we're going to zoom in on one thing about being in Christ. There are probably millions of things about being in Christ. That's why it takes a lifetime to learn about it. But we're going to zoom in on one of those things, and we're going to begin that conversation um, because with a way of me telling you a story of, of a moment quite a few years ago where I was walking through a really hard season in my life, and God began a conversation with me by dropping a picture in my heart of the cross. 
Now, we all know what a cross looks like, and so when this image of the cross dropped into my mind, it wasn't like I had never seen a cross before. But you know how sometimes the Lord will show you a new perspective on something, so it's almost like this is the first time you've seen it? And that's the way it was that day. I had this perspective of the cross that really was based on the two lines that construct the cross. We're going to start with the vertical line, because I want to paint this picture for you. The vertical line represented God being on mission for us, right? God came down from heaven in the person of Jesus Christ to rescue us from our sin. And and we know the Bible teaches that's exactly what he did. So that would be that vertical line. But the horizontal line is different. That, That line of the cross. This part of the cross, I knew that day as God dropped this image into my heart, really represented us. If you can just think of us scurrying about the planet, you know, doing life as we do day after day, all the different things that we do and build, our our lives, our businesses, our homes, our families. It's the big things like the weddings and, um, you know, the businesses that we build or the holidays and those kind of moments, but it's also just doing life day to day, you know, doing the laundry and buying the groceries and fixing the meals and what TV show are you going to watch and having relationships and all those kinds of things just scurrying about doing life but the thing is on this horizontal line of how we do life there is this curse of sin and death upon us because of the brokenness of this world so there's two very different lines God reaching down from heaven and then this broken humanity but there's this place that we see where the vertical line And the horizontal line meet in the cross, right? This place where the perfect love of Jesus Christ meets the broken humanity. And that day, when I was in this hard season in my life quite a few years ago, when I was trying to figure it out and seeking God and saying, what does it mean to be in Christ during this time? God began to speak to me as he put this perspective in my heart. And there was this knowing in my heart that he was saying, Sharon, if you will center yourself in me, in this place where I meet the brokenness, then I can raise you up above all of that. Because see, this is what God showed me. When I am in Christ, even though I'm living amidst all this brokenness and it's all around me, As I choose to be in him, he's going to raise me up above it, right? See, the cross, we all know it. We're familiar with what the cross looks like, but maybe this will be a new perspective for you too. The cross doesn't look like this picture that you're seeing, the one, let's see, the one where it's down. Yes, it doesn't look like that. The cross looks like this, right? Raised up living. And that's what God invites us to when we decide to be in him, to really live that way. Not just have that doctrinal, you know, um, statement about who we are from scripture, although that's very important, but we decide to step into that. Now, I know that that can seem like a very simple illustration, but I want you to know, that changed so much for me. And I share it with you tonight, all these years later, because I now have a history with that picture of the cross. Over the years, God has brought that picture to mind over and over and over again to me, as if to say, Sharon, 
Get yourself in me. I'll raise you up out of the brokenness. I'll raise you up above it. You don't have to live this way. And when you get up here in this elevated place and you can see things from my perspective, then I will allow you to also affect the other people who are down here still stuck in the brokenness. And church, tonight, I really believe that God would have me share this perspective with you so that he can say the same thing to each of us in this very broken world that we find ourselves in. This world that is so full of moral dilemma in 2020. Every day we turn around and new moral dilemmas are hitting us in the face. God wants us to be lifted up out of this brokenness and set free from it as his children. The Bible is very clear about that over and over again. So we're going to look tonight at one of the places where it speaks that. Some of you, as you were coming in, you saw on the screen where we were encouraging you to either read or write down or both those, those verses that were there. And, and they were on the table on the way as you came in. I know it was also online. So you might have gotten a chance to do that. You might not have. But I do believe so strongly in meditating on Scripture, letting it get down into the way we think. We just try to sometimes just fly by Scriptures, and, and they don't really get on the inside of us. So even if you didn't get a chance to write them down tonight, I would encourage you, when you go home later to copy some of these verses down and to just really meditate on them and think on them. But turn with me, if you will, or look at what you copied from Romans 8, verses 1 and 2. And I'm going to read that for us now. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. See, Christ was lifted up on the cross so that we can be lifted up from the bondage of sin and death and into a place of freedom of life. Now, that's a salvation reality. Just like we said, doctrinally, that is the truth. When we accept Jesus, we are set free. And it's like that That. Um, access to be set free is put on our account so we can draw on that whenever we want. But remember, this is not just a doctrinal statement. This is something that as believers, we really should be living in, in the nitty gritty places of our life. We really can be free from this brokenness that's out here all around us. But here's what I have learned. Being in Christ and experiencing that kind of freedom is a decision we have to make when we receive Christ, yes, but also day by day, moment by moment, relationship by relationship, circumstance by circumstance, over and over again. We have to decide, are we going to position ourselves in Christ? Jesus opened his arms wide up on the cross, right? It's an invitation for everyone to come in who would choose. But he also told us this, church. He said, the gate is narrow to come in. See, the, the gate to all the brokenness, oh, it's a wide gate. And there's plenty of room to wander around out here. Everyone enters that gate when you're born. You just enter into the brokenness, and that is where you will stay. Unless you choose to enter in to Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Making that choice to be in him. In this season where there is so much moral dilemma 
around us. So I want you to keep that perspective of the cross as a backdrop in your mind tonight, and we're going to continue, because I'm going to share with you a story that takes you into the nitty-gritty of me personally making a decision to be in Christ during this crazy season, especially this election season. In fact, it was when I shared this story with Pastors Fred and Vanessa that they were prompted to ask me to even preach tonight. And so that's really why I'm up here tonight. And, and I want you to know I am preaching tonight, but it is going to be a little bit different because I'm going to be sharing testimony with you. Testimony of how God moved in my life through his word, changed my mind, changed my heart, called me to step away from something and in the narrow gate to be in him so that he could lift me up. And how many of us know that testimony is designed to build up the body of Christ? So my hope and my prayer, as I honestly have wrestled through how to share this, is that you will be built up through this testimony that I'm gonna share. So I'm gonna start with this. You, like me, have probably heard Pastor Fred say over the last several months that he really believes that the church, the body of Christ, can be in unity even though we have so much diversity of thought, right? Have you heard him say that? Yeah, we've heard him say that. Now, I don't know if that has hit you like it has hit me. I want to believe that, I really do. But if I'm honest with you, I have really wrestled with how that can really be true. It sounds really nice, but when you get home and you start thinking about things or you see things or you hear things, you go, you know, I don't, I don't really know about that. And that's where I have found myself in this season, in that place of wrestle. See, I think we've all been made very keenly aware of the brokenness all around us and within us, Right? all year long. It's all taking place out here on this horizontal plane that we live on. And in the midst of this season, God used this perspective of the cross once again to draw me away from the brokenness and to call me into the narrow gate into Christ. See, during this past summer, when the, really the brokenness was just raging all around us, I was actually leading a Bible study online through our ministry established footsteps. And for two months, we were in Romans chapter 8. So every day for two months, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 were front and center for me. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So I was very aware of that truth. Like it was always in front of me. But at the same time, I was so burdened by the strife that was going on in our nation. And how many of us know strife is just one of the manifestations of the sin and death on this horizontal plane? But one of my burdens really came from some interactions that I was having with somebody I'm gonna call John tonight, okay? John's a fellow believer in Christ, but he's somebody who has very different views than I do about a lot of things that are going on in the world. And as I saw some things that he was doing and I heard some things that he was saying, I found myself perplexed, I found myself confused, I found myself hurt, offended, all those things. And if that wasn't enough, What was even more challenging for me was that I had a ministry situation coming up where John and I were going to have to work together. And I just couldn't see how that was going to work out. 
Because I've been doing this long enough to know that when there is strife, the Holy Spirit doesn't move. And, and if the Holy Spirit's not doing a work, I, I can preach my heart out. But it really doesn't matter. It's pretty much worthless. And so I was in so much turmoil in my heart. Because as much as I wanted to be in unity, and I wanted to see what Pastor Fred was saying to be, so as I was dealing with all this brokenness, I couldn't seem to find a sense of unity in that. And it went on for quite a while as I prayed and sought the Lord, and that ministry event got closer and closer. And one morning, the Lord answered. He answered. I went on a prayer walk that morning, as I do often, and, and I prayed about many of the things that were on my heart, but one of those things was this situation with John. And when I got home, I got out my Bible, I got out Romans 8, because that's where I was studying and meditating, and God began to speak. Now, we've already read the first two verses, but you might even be familiar with Romans 8. Those are just the beginning. If you keep reading in Romans 8, what you find is just this amazing description of so many of the benefits that we as believers have because we are set free. All the amazing things that our salvation provides. But verses 1 and 2 are just the beginning. But when you land yourself in verses 31 and following, you find that these questions start. If you want to look with me, if you've got your Bible open to Romans 8, you can start in verse 31. The first question is then, what then shall we say to these things? In other words, how are we going to respond to all this amazing stuff, right? And then the second question, if God is for us, who is against us? The third question, will he not freely give us all things? So good. And then in verse 33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Verse 34, who is the one who condemns? Verse 35, we've probably all heard this one. Who shall separate us from the love of God? All these questions, so, so powerful to consider about our salvation. But that morning for me, the Lord just zoomed in on question number five. Who is the one who condemns? And I was like, Lord, isn't it so awesome that nobody can condemn? Because see, I'd been meditating on verses 1 and 2. There's no condemnation for anyone who's in Christ. And so there was like this worship that broke out in my heart. And I was like, so good to not have condemnation. And then his voice spoke so clearly. And he said, then why are you condemning John? And I was like, what? You know how the Lord can speak like in one second and lay it all out on the table and you can see it for what it really is? I couldn't deny it. And what he was saying was true. He showed me the posture of my heart toward John and it was condemning. And he went on to impress these two things upon me. That by condemning John, I had wandered back out into the brokenness of sin and death. And that I was putting Jesus himself in a very difficult situation. See, read Romans 8.34 with me where we find question number five. It says, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. This is basically saying that no one has the right to condemn us if we're in Christ because Christ died and he was already raised up to overcome that condemnation. But if somebody should step in and try to condemn us, and we all know that happens a lot, right? Christ will get between you 
and whoever is trying to condemn you. He will intercede that condemnation. But see, in this scenario, the Lord revealed to me what that interceding really looked like. For me, because I had been studying Romans 8, there's also another section in there, verses 26 and 27, you might be familiar with it, where it talks about how the Holy Spirit will intercede for us when we can't even find the words to pray, when we can't get you know, even groanings out that he'll turn that into words before the Father. So I had just, even though I'd been meditating on this chapter, I hadn't stopped there long enough to realize that this is not the same kind of interceding. See, this interceding looked like this. He showed me that Jesus was interceding as in standing between his child and their condemner. And that's what he does by dying and resurrecting for us. But in this case, guess who was the condemner? It was me. Which meant Jesus was having to stand between two of his kids. A brother and a sister in Christ, much like a parent has to stand between two of their children when they're fighting. Now, it's one thing as a parent to do that when your kids are fighting over toys. I sat with a parent yesterday whose kids as adults are fighting. And there was such a grief in her heart as she shared that with me. And I thought about Christ's heart when he has to stand between his children. It's a horrible place to be in. And as I saw this reality about myself that day, two things happened. I was so grieved. The Lord showed me my sin, and he showed me it was not pretty. And you know what? As a believer, I so desire to be in Christ, but I realized I was not operating in Christ. I could have said I was. In fact, I was saying that I was, but I wasn't. And so I did the only thing I knew to do in that moment. I I asked God to forgive me. I cried out in repentance, and I asked for forgiveness. But here is the second thing that took place. I also cried out saying, Lord, then, then what do I do? Because the reality was, John and I still saw things very differently. And I still didn't know what to do about that. But here's what happened, church. First, that place of humble repentance and crying out to the Lord opened up that narrow gate for me to come back in, into Christ, into his gospel where there is no condemnation. But I couldn't bring the condemnation of John with me anymore. And as I did that, the Lord lifted me up above all the brokenness and he gave me a different perspective. He gave me sight to see things from up above. See, how many of us know when you look at things from up on high, they don't look the same as when you look at them straight on in the face? God gave me perspective from up above like he was seeing, to see John as his child, to see why John might be acting that way, and to see an assignment that God had for me in this situation. God wanted me to pray for John. In the places where I had concerns about John or we had differences, God wanted me to pray. He wanted me to position myself in Christ, right where heaven meets this brokenness, and pray for John. And the Lord showed me that was going to be where we would be unified. See, I learned that God was not calling me so much to be in unity with John. He was calling me to be in unity with him and in his purposes for John. And there's a big difference in that. When I was unified with Christ in his gospel, my elevated view was going to be very different about John. I could see that God created John just like he created me. 
that he has a love for John, just like he loves me. That he died for John, just like he died for me. That God is doing a sanctifying work in John, just like he's doing a sanctifying work in me. That he is using John in spite of his shortcomings, just like he's using me in mine. In Christ, I could be ever aware that God is able enough, strong enough, powerful enough, wise enough, whatever he needs to be to fix anything that needs to be fixed in John and needs to be changed and in me. My assignment that I could see from up on high was that I needed to pray for John and to cheer John on in the work of the gospel in his life. That is what I learned that day, church. When I am in Christ, not only do I get to experience the benefit of no condemnation for myself, but I also have a responsibility to cheer that choice on for anyone, anyone who has expressed a desire to be in, even John. I heard somebody say this one time, and I've never forgotten it. They said, pride tries to figure out how many people I can keep out of God's family. The gospel tries to figure out how many people I can get in. When I take on the role of condemner, guess which one of those things I am operating in. But when I am in Christ, guess which mission will become my mission. His mission becomes my mission. You know, that morning when I was in my quiet time with Jesus, it was like revival in my house. Have you ever had one of those moments, you know? I mean, it's just like, yes, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm back in with you, and we're going to do this. But, you know, then you got to walk that out. And you got to choose that day after day when the brokenness around you is still speaking very loud and luring you. And I had to make that decision over and over and over again to be in Christ. And I want you to know it wasn't easy because that brokenness was so loud. But I want to give testimony tonight that praise God, I stayed in. And God was so faithful. He absolutely blew my mind and how he worked in unity through John and I during our ministry event together. I can't share all the details about that, but I was left in awe of how faithful he is when we make the choice to enter that narrow gate and position ourselves in Christ. I shared all of that personal testimony because I want you to see the dilemma and and feel the tension and the wrestle. Because church, here's the thing. I have a story about that, but I imagine that many of us that are present tonight, here in the service and online, or even watching later, have been feeling the wrestle and the tension too. I imagine that there is someone in your life, or maybe even many, that you could call John. And let me just say, please don't get distracted by trying to figure out who John is in my story. It would not be appropriate for me to share that, and honestly, it doesn't even really matter to you. But what does matter to you is this. Who might be John for you? Who is on the other side of the aisle that in your heart, if you're really honest, that you are condemning? It might be somebody you actually know. 
It might be a social media acquaintance. It might even be a big leader in one of the political parties or many of them. It could even be all three or, or more of them. I'll be honest, John is not the only one that I have struggled with. God has continued to speak question number five from Romans 8 to me over and over again. Who is the one who condemns? And church, that is the very simple but yet very challenging question he has in the midst of this time of loving on us tonight. Who is the one who condemns? Is it you? See, if we want to be in Christ, we cannot live in condemnation at the same time. We get it probably that if we want to experience the benefits of being in Christ, then we can't live in immorality, right? we got to leave that out here in the brokenness and the sin. We can't live in bitterness or unbelief or despair or selfishness. You can't bring greed or, or jealousy into Christ. It, it just doesn't work that way. We get it that all of those things do not fit through the narrow gate. But somehow, and we do this, right? We get deceived Somehow in the midst of this broken year and this election season, we have deceived ourselves to think that it's okay. We got a free pass to bring condemnation into Christ. But church tonight, God is saying no. He's calling out Republicans. He's calling out Democrats. He's calling out everyone in between. And he wants us to know condemnation is ugly and it is shaming to who we are and who we've been called to be. It creates strife in the body of Christ. It's keeping us outside the glories of Christ and keeping us from being elevated and sharing that. It's smearing the name of Jesus and it's putting Jesus in a position to have to intercede between his children. God, forgive us. Call us back in tonight, Lord. Call us away from our pride. Now, I can imagine that even maybe right now, just because some of the own, my own processes I've had in my own heart, that, that some of you might be thinking, yeah, yeah, but what about the times that Jesus really condemned sin and he spoke hard words? You know what? That's a very valid question. Like I said, I've asked it. But you know what? If you look at those times, you see that Jesus was most often correcting the pride that he saw in people's hearts. And we know that when he said those things, he had a perfect, holy mission to rescue us and to raise people up. So if he was correcting, there was a holy purpose in it. And I might add, he's Jesus, right? So he sees 100%, no presumption, what's going on in people's hearts and minds and motives. We can't do that. The message tonight, church, is not about all oh, let's play nice and say fluffy things where, you know, we won't, any of us get offended. That's not what this is. So please don't misread this. Sometimes we do have to say a hard word. What we're saying tonight is a hard word, but it's not condemning. It's for the purpose of raising up. But see, we, on the other hand, a lot of times in this season, we either speak out harsh words or we're saying them in our hearts, thinking them in our minds with a desire to see people brought low, to see them put in their place, like where they belong, right? And, and I know it might even still be hard to see that maybe, could I be standing in condemnation? Because see, a lot of times as believers, what we're doing is we're fighting for those convictions that we believe God has placed on our hearts, the callings on our lives. And, and perhaps we really are doing that. God obviously cares deeply about the brokenness going out 
in, the, in this horizontal plane. That's why he came on mission to save us from it. And he calls us to fight against it. But there is a gospel way to fight those things. And there is a worldly, sinful way to fight those things. And they're very different. See, as we fight, we often forget that we are not fighting flesh and blood. We forget God created flesh and blood. Many of the people that we are pointing our fingers at, either physically or in our hearts and minds, are God's children. They're his children. And those who are not, guess what? He wants them to be. Our biggest fight should be to draw as many people in through the narrow gate as we possibly can. That is the mission that you cannot argue with in Scripture. That should become our mission when we come in Christ. Over this last year, the Lord has brought this verse from Psalm 51 to me over and over again. Some of you may have copied it or read it as you came in. It says this, you desire truth in my inner most being. You know when that was written? It was written by David when he was repenting of his sin. And basically he was saying, God, this has got to get way past just the surface. It's got to get deep down into me and find out the places where I am not lined up with you. Church tonight, I would ask you, can you let this question, who is the one who condemns, get deep? into your heart and your mind? Can you let it search you out and find you out? Maybe even reveal places where you've labeled yourself righteous and John unredeemable. See, those two labels, righteous and redeemed, are so important as we let this question, who is the one who condemns, search us out. Because those two words are foundational to being in the gospel of Jesus. Jesus came as a perfectly righteous God. He pierced the brokenness, right, of unrighteous humanity. And he opened the door. Whoever wants to come in can choose to come in out of the brokenness and become righteous in Christ. That's a gift we're given. None of us earn that. We don't get that by merit. It's given by Christ. And then for everyone who chooses to come in, he begins a redemptive process. He begins that process in us. When I'm in the gospel of Jesus, my life should then begin to be defined by that process and his heart and his mission. Out here in the horizontal brokenness where everybody's living, we're going to be defined, our thoughts and our attitudes and our motives are going to be defined by political parties and groups and racial distinctions and all of those things. But when we are in Christ... He defines those things differently. And his definitions, what we have to realize, are so distinctly different from what we see out here. In Christ, we should look different and act different and talk different and post different and love different and fight different. But so often, sadly, we look just like the brokenness. If the way you're fighting looks exactly like the world looks, people who don't know Christ, then you need to sit up and go, what, God? Maybe you are searching me out tonight. We cannot allow the posture of our hearts towards people who are in different stages of the redemptive journey than we are cause us to become condemners. See, we have a tendency, and both sides of the aisle are doing this, to put God's blessing on our side of the aisle. 
And then we point our fingers on the other side and we rant and rave about how blind they are, how evil they are. And the truth is, you know what? They truly might be blind. They truly might be evil. There is some serious sin going on out here, some serious sin and death going out out here in the brokenness. But what the Holy Spirit wants us to see tonight is the ways that we talk about people and the ways that our hearts are postured toward people are condemning. They're not fighting in a gospel way. And before any of us, because I know this is a heavy word, I've felt it, I've walked in it, I had to decide myself, am I going to step in? So before any of us dismiss ourselves from those descriptions, I want you to be careful to note, this does not have to happen on social media. It doesn't have to happen in a public way. It doesn't even have to be loud or obnoxious. Maybe you're one of those more quiet people. Or, or you say, you know, I would never post things like that. I, you know, I know better than doing that. But God would ask, how are you speaking around the dinner table? How are you speaking to your friends in text with your family, in your office, in family gatherings, maybe even in your prayers? You know, there's a place in Scripture where somebody was praying, but it wasn't a righteous prayer. And sometimes our prayers are just like that. Let's allow this truth to get deep into our innermost being. And you know what, church? While we're going deep, can we just go deep? Can we just go all the way and just, and just get it out on the table to the posture of our hearts about the leaders of the parties in our country? Because really, in this political climate this year, how we relate to the two leaders of these political parties really has had so much influence and impact on how we're relating to one another. So at this point in our history, it's not news to anybody, we have two leaders of two parties, right? Donald Trump and we have Joe Biden. And I want you to know, I'm gonna speak about both, so don't get uptight, all right? But I'm gonna start with Trump. Now, I have been open about my support of Donald Trump, but irregardless of my preference, it is a shame the way that many believers have related to him as our president. God's word calls us to honor our elected leaders, period. Now, I obviously don't personally know Donald Trump, but I've looked deeply beyond the normal media attacks and, and the lies, and I've seen a man who has professed a faith in Christ. And I've seen that he's lived out that faith in many ways. Perfectly? By no means. I mean, I see some issues of character in his life that need to be sanctified, but you know what? I see some in me that need to be sanctified, and quite frankly, I see some in a lot of you that need to be sanctified as well. But what his profession of faith does mean is that it makes him our brother in Christ. Over the last four years, many believers have created self-righteous platforms and sarcastically and pridefully and sometimes even enjoyably muddied his name and his leadership with any kind of accusation that they can find. Many times not even knowing if it's true, but just jumping on it and spreading a false report. Instead of standing in Christ and praying for President Trump and honoring his position in our country, many have joined in the brokenness of spreading lies and being foolishly mean-spirited and callously accusatory and condemning. And you know what? It's bad enough to do that, but far worse to claim that you're walking in Christ and doing your duty as a Christian as you do it. Church, that attitude is a shame 
to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if that has been your doing tonight, God is calling you to repent. You may not like Donald Trump. You may have some serious concerns with his policies or maybe his style of leadership, but your citizenship as a Christian should trump the way you express those concerns. Back in August, the Lord called me to journal prayers for our nation every day. And I've shared that on social media, so some of you may have seen this notebook where literally every day, and I'd never done this before, and honestly, I'll just confess, I wasn't somebody who really even prayed for our country hardly ever. But I've just been pouring out prayers. But this one particular morning, the Holy Spirit led me specifically to pray for President Trump. Not as our president, I had done that, but, but just as a person, to pray for him, for his emotions, for his thoughts, for his health, for his sleep, for his identity, his stamina, for his care for his family. And you know what? I ended up with such an ache and a sadness in my heart. I literally started weeping because of the way so many believers have attacked him and spoken about him. And I imagined just as a person what that would feel like. I've seen so many people criticize him for the way he brashly communicates. And I'll admit, sometimes, yeah, he does that. But yet their words about him were far worse. Donald Trump is a person. He was created by our holy father in his image. He is a person who has expressed a faith in Christ. So God would ask you tonight, who is the one who condemns? Now I want you to know, that morning as I prayed for Trump, just as a person, you know what the Lord did? He also then urged me to pray. After I wrote amen, he urged me to pray for Joe Biden. And he threw in Kamala Harris too to pray for them as people. And that morning, when God asked me to do that, I was resistant. And he showed me that I still had one foot out here in the brokenness and I was trying to be in Christ. So I had to repent that morning too. I'm not asking you to do something that I didn't do myself and, have not, and I've had to do over and over again. And I decided that morning, and it was a hard decision, but I decided I wanted to be all in. That day, God changed the posture of my heart. Because that day the Lord showed me in my heart that I was not for them. Now, by for them, I don't mean politically. That's not what it was about. By for them, I mean he showed me I wasn't praying for them to know Christ more. I wasn't praying for them to be brought further into the riches of their redemptive process. I wasn't in Christ desiring to see them brought in too. In a sense, I had labeled them as unredeemable. But when I began to look deeper, I found that both Biden and Harris claim to have a faith in God. Now, I'm being transparent tonight, honestly, so, and you've heard that already. I personally have struggled with that because some of the fruit of their decisions that they're making, and, and I do want to be transparent with you because I know that some of you are feeling those similar things, and, you, and you're thinking, well, I don't know if their faith is really real. We have to be open and real about these things. But as a believer in Christ, I can't ignore my concerns any more than you can ignore your concerns that maybe you have about President Trump. But here's the thing, church, what we do with those concerns, how we fight for those concerns, how we express those concerns should look very, very different from the way the world is doing that. And most importantly, how we relate to them as people, as brothers and sisters in Christ should look very differently. So I had to repent of my lack of prayer, my lack of welcome for 
Biden and Harris. I had to repent of the snide comments that I would sometimes make, the quickness that I often had to just believe the rumors. And I've had to walk in that repentance when a lot of people all around me are not. Now, I would confess, I haven't been 100% in every day. God's had to come back to me again and again. Who is the one who condemns? But I can tell you I've been way more in than I was before. Praying for Biden and Harris has become a regular part of my prayer life now. And God has changed my heart to see them as people that he came on mission for. And I would say, church, if your political leaning is the same as mine, and you've found yourself struggling to be for Biden and Harris as brothers and sisters in Christ, tonight God is saying the same thing to you. You need to repent. Who is the one who condemns? And I know that many of us are saying, well, I don't really believe that Trump is a Christian, though, or I don't believe that, that Harris and Biden are believers in Christ. And you know what I would say again to all of us? Pride tries to figure out how many people you can keep out of God's family. The gospel of Jesus Christ tries to figure out how many people you can get in. Amen. I'll clap to that too. I have to cheer myself on in knowing that. God is calling us in. Obviously, I don't have all the answers to what it looks like to being in Christ. I'm learning. I'm repenting. But I know there is a different way than what I've been seeing out here in the brokenness. He's calling us in, church. Not because he wants to condemn us, but because he wants to raise us up above the brokenness for ourselves, but for the world as well. When we are in him, he will raise us up to fight these battles in righteous ways with pure hearts and wise responses. That's one of the benefits of living in him. Being raised up above the sin and death. To do things differently, see things differently. But here's the thing about raised up living that I've been meditating on lately. You know, some people are afraid of heights. I'm not one of those people. But there are people that, you know, physically won't get up on a ladder. They'd never get on a parasail or climb to the edge of a cliff and look out over the horizon because heights scare them. And I always think that's a little sad because, like, I did go parasailing last year. And it was glorious to see the Keys and down in Florida, you know, from up above. But way more sad when we let our fear of spiritual heights keep us from the things that God has for us. Many of us stay out here in the brokenness because we are afraid of what it looks like up on high, of what might be required of us or how vulnerable it is to let Christ raise us up. It is vulnerable to humble yourself to the better ways of Christ. It's challenging to leave sin out here in the brokenness and live different. It's very scary to relinquish control and to trust God and it does expose your heart when God calls you to love somebody and pray for somebody that you don't even really like. See, we love to sing in worship. Oh, Jesus, lift me up, lift me up, take me higher. But then when he tries to draw us in, we're like, no, no, I don't like that height. I'm scared of that stuff. But we'll keep singing during worship. But this is to get into the way we live. Choose to step in. Several years ago, I preached a message at City Life Church from this verse in Proverbs 13, 10. It says, with presumption comes much strife. Some versions say with arrogance. Some versions say with pride. I like the way the NASB reads it when it says presumption. Because how many of us know most of what keeps us out here in the brokenness with a condemning and critical spirit is presumption. 
presuming that we know a person's heart, that we know their motives, their story, their thoughts, their intentions, all those things. And the truth is, church, most of the time we don't. And when we get in that place of presumptive pride as a Christian, what usually follows is even more presumption. We presume that Christ is with us and he is against them, right? And all of that, you know what it creates? It's just a breeding ground out here in this sin and death for strife within us, around us, and then between us. And I share all that to say that I believe there are some people in this room tonight who have found a place of redemption in your heart. You're like me on that morning and you're crying out, God, forgive me. I I, I didn't even see that, but I wanna be in. I don't wanna be in that place. And I just wanna speak into that. I'm right there with you. But one of the things we have to know if we wanna stay in, you have got to leave presumption out here in the brokenness where it belongs. Presumption is gonna lure you back out there every single time. In Christ though, in Christ, in that center place where he meets us with his holiness, his word will give you the truth. His spirit within you will direct you in how to think, how to have the mind of Christ, and he will elevate your perspective to see people and circumstances from heaven's view instead of this broken earth. We haven't answered every question tonight about being in Christ by no means. Understanding what it means to be in Christ is a lifelong sanctification that comes with much wrestle. And you know what? That's not surprising As we close tonight, I'm gonna read a passage from Matthew chapter seven, something that Jesus said as he was talking about entering into his way. He said, enter by the narrow gate. This is verse 13, chapter seven of Matthew. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. We've talked about that tonight, right? That horizontal place. And it says many are those who enter by that. But the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And few are those who find it. That that way is wide. Most people do life out here in the sin and death that leads to destruction. But there is a gate, church. It's narrow, but there is a way to be in Christ. And as we close out the service, I want to encourage you to jot down this reference of Matthew 7, 13, and 14. And when you go home tonight, I want to encourage you to copy those two verses down and continue to meditate on them and to ponder what God might have been speaking to you tonight. See, understanding that the gate is narrow is so important to how we think about being in Christ. Because have you ever tried to wrestle something through a narrow opening, maybe when you're moving into a new place and the door is narrow and the bed that you need to get in or the couch that you need to get in is wider. And so you're trying out here to figure out how to get that thing in and you twist it that way and you twist it this way and you take the legs off and you turn it upside down. Anybody ever done that before? It's so frustrating, right? And there are times that somebody inside is helping you and seeing, yeah, it's gonna work, it's not gonna work, but eventually you have to make a decision. You're either gonna get it through, they're gonna help you get it through as you wrestle with it, or you're gonna just have to say, it's not going to fit in here. Entering the narrow way of Jesus is not easy, and we have to wrestle through that a lot of times. There's been a lot of wrestling in my heart over the last several months, and I know maybe in yours, but I wanna invite you into the wrestle. 
just the conversation that God started with us tonight. See, you might still be asking questions and thinking, yeah, but this, that, wrestle with God. Talk to him about that. Meditate on that and see what really fits in Christ. And if it doesn't, be willing to leave it out here and trust that he has a better way, a way for you to be raised up. Tonight, God has been very clear. He wants us to be in. And church, I would tell you, I've wrestled through it a lot, but condemnation does not fit in Christ. It just doesn't. It's not going to fit through the gate. And so if you want to be in, you're going to have to leave that outside the door. Jesus, we thank you that you do love us, that you came on mission for us, a holy God, into this brokenness that sometimes we just are so caught up in, we can't even decide what's up and down. But Jesus, if we'll get in you, and you've shown us the way to do that by your word, through the sacrifice of your son, the way that you met our brokenness, Lord, you will meet us and you will change us and you will raise us up. And not only will that be a blessing for us, we can change the world. God, would we be different people? Would we be willing to step into your narrow way and live for you and experience the glories when you raise us up? Thank you, Jesus. We love you. You're good. You're a holy God. Thank you for not condemning us. May we have a posture of heart that is pure and on your mission in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, can you join amen. me in saying thank you to Sharon for that amazing message tonight? So good. I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we close. You know, I knew I was going to be coming up here to close, and I was praying about a verse to read, and uh, Matthew 7 is where I landed. So when she said she was going to be reading from there, I, I knew that I was in the right place. Because, see, if you back up just a few more verses from where you where she started, you, you find these words. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you've got a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, Jesus says. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see enough to deal with with the speck in your friend's eye. I don't, I don't know about you. I've got a lifetime of logs to get rid of. And you know what? You do too. You do too. And so I so appreciate that challenge tonight because that's what Sharon is saying to us. Let, let's work on delogging ourselves. And then if we have some time left over at the end of our lives, we can start worrying about the specks that are around us. So I, if you're watching from home, we so appreciate you joining us tonight, being here in this just lighthearted conversation that we've had together. <laughs> if you're visiting with us, it'll be just as serious next week. We just need to let you know in advance because we like to go deep here and we like to wrestle with heavy things here 
at the City Life Church. I hope some of you are going to be sending the link of this message to people that you know who need to hear it. I hope you're going to be inviting some people to watch it with you so that you can sit down and talk about it. This is a message that we need to chew on, that we need to reflect on, that we need to meditate on, and we need to keep talking about it. This message is only going to be effectual if it spurs an ongoing conversation between us and the world in which we live. So thank you for being here tonight. If you want to hang out and talk, you can. You just can't do it in here. You need to do it outside so we can reset the space for the church that will be coming after us. We'll see you next week.